But Psalm 41, I'm going to read it, and then I'll pray. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words, while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout and triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that as we close this first book of the Psalms, that you would be exalted. As we began the Psalms, we know that it, blessed is the man, it says, and now as we end this first book, and blessed is the Lord God. And I pray that our hearts would bless you tonight, that we would raise, that they would be raised in worship. Even as we've sung already, I pray that our hearts, Lord, and the quietness would be, uh, would be um, in awe of you. And, and giving you thanks and praising you, Lord, and even confessing our sin where it's needed. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Probably the most familiar title this psalm has, uh, I didn't look at any percentages, but to the choir master, a psalm of David. And we know that in the way that the, the books of the psalms were arranged, they were arranged into five books. This is the final, we don't know why, they were arranged into five. Some have speculated that perhaps it relates to there being five books of Moses, the Torah. There are other speculations. I don't know if we'll figure that out uh, ever. The occasion for this psalm may very well be a historical uh, matter that we see in the scriptures, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, if so, then David is king while he's writing this psalm. And it seems to be one of those psalms that is not written after the fact. The, the language and the way that, uh, the way that, it's, uh, that David writes in this psalm seems to indicate that he's write, writing this as he's going through trial. And many, if you've paid attention or if you've noticed, many of the first 41 psalms have been about trial. It's very interesting how the Psalms begin with that note, that note of suffering. By far, the majority have had to do with a particular trial or s several trials that the psalmist has been dealing with and going through. But this one comes probably during David's reign as king. The theme of this psalm is, some have suggested, that it's a liturgy psalm. Uh, one that has a very ordered purpose in the liturgy and the worship of God's people in the, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, and his covenant people there. It doesn't have to do, this psalm, with everything. It's not a litur liturgy just uh, to be a liturgy. It has a very narrow focus. It would be called a, a liturgy psalm for the sick. 
But not everyone is included as everyone who gets sick. It's certainly for God's covenant people. And it's an encouragement. There should be some encouragement both for the sick and for those who have to, uh, who are going through illness. We know we have uh, the Pikas still recovering from COVID right now. And illness is something very close to the Christian church at this, this time. This psalm is pretty easily broken up into sort of a pattern, a, a poetic pattern, even in the context as it comes through in English. And we'll be looking at it in that pattern this evening. If you, if you take notes, if not, if you take notes, then it's A1. This, this point is A1, a profession of faith, verse, faith, verses 1 through 3. Verse 1 says this, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. Now there's an exclamation after that for a good reason. But it is, it is fascinating that this last book of the psalm, uh, the first book of the psalm, the last ver- chapter of the first book of the psalm, begins and ends with blessed. Blessed, we know, means happiness, but it means more than happiness, and we've seen this before in the Psalms. This marks the chapter of the first book of the Psalms, and we should remember the first Psalm, how it began. Do you remember? It began, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Now we see here, blessedness referring to one who considers the poor. And this consideration is not merely that you think about them, that you have thoughts, you know, we like to say our thoughts are with you. That's not what this means. This means that your thoughts lead you to act appropriately toward the poor. And the the poor here doesn't mean merely those who don't have money. That's not, the the word doesn't, in fact, it's rendered many times in translations, those who are weak among you. It doesn't mean those who lack means merely, but those who lack means in relationship to power and rights and authority, those who are weak in their physical frame who cannot work for themselves. Uh, There's much to do, evidently, with this idea of poverty here. There is no virtue in poverty itself. The proverb says, give me neither poverty nor riches. And there's there's ways to fall off on both those in in a pursuit or in a sense that you think that, oh, if I have riches, I'm virtuous. If I'm poor, I'm virtuous. Neither have virtue in themselves. The word for poor here really should, should strike in our mind perhaps people like Naomi, Naomi and Ruth. After Naomi and Ruth, after their husbands had died, really they didn't own anything. There was nothing for them in the society at that time as far as personal ownership. And so when we come to the story as it unfolds, we see Ruth going out and gleaning in the fields. That was one of the ways that God and the law had, had provided for those who didn't have property or authority or legal rights in any other venue or even that, uh, any means of making money that would provide for them. Uh, this is a very agrarian society. This is a very hard and, you know, not everybody could work in a nice air-conditioned office. It wasn't easy in those days. And so you can imagine Ruth going out there and picking field and the hot, picking uh, what was left over, gleaning what was left over as a means of providing the very basic means for her subsistence to, to live, essentially. And this is the sort of poverty that we should understand when we come to this word. 
We also see that God provided for the poor in the laws, not just that they can glean the leftovers, what's leftovers. The farmers were not to farm to the edge of their field. They were to leave for the poor uh, the remaining harvest so that the poor could go out and harvest themselves. This also was consistent with the principle that laziness not be beneficial in society, that benefits should not be given to the lazy. In other words, there was food, there were provisions for these poor, impoverished people, but it wasn't just a handout. It wasn't just here, take this and, and go about your way. What we see ourselves and our society doing is very concerning in that measure. We need to be a very considerate society of the poor and of the weak, and yet at the same time hold in the balance the biblical principles. But David here is very concerned that we remember the poor. God has been very clear throughout Scripture that the poor never should be exploited. These poor here, they didn't have the legal standing, as I said. They didn't have the ability to call a, a lawyer or, or hire one. And oftentimes, as the proverb says, that the, the ancient landmarks would be moved. And by that, they meant the borders. And so you, you close your poor neighbor up into a little space because, you know, what are they going to do? What kind of power do they have? But actually, in God's word, he made it clear that in matters of law, that nobody uh, exploit the poor and that they must not be uh, respecters of persons. So David, really, he's not saying anything that the law doesn't require. But the law is a law that requires us to love our neighbor as himself. And I really think when it boils down to it, this is what David is concerned with in this principle. He says, in the day of trouble, and here's, here's what he says, you, you consider the poor, you treat them right, you, you have your mind set on doing them good. And then he says, in the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. The, that is the one who does the poor well is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. Now, we need to see this profession of faith in life, both of the law that God gave to protect the poor that I just mentioned there, but also in the fulfillment of the gospel. Because what Paul says should be the mind of our mind towards the poor was God's mind towards us. I really believe all of, well, we believe this in, in Christian theology, the basis of morality is in God himself. When we talk about principles and, and the commands like loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, these begin first in God. And then they come to us. But we see here in Romans 5, 6, we remember when we were still weak. And we just saw a few weeks ago there, there in Isaiah 53:10 that Christ became weak for us. He, when we were in our weakness, he became weak. And we saw that, in fact, in the last psalm. Christ died for us in our place. While we were weak, this is how it says it in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And so the consideration of the poor 
is not just to say, oh, those people down there, but it is to consider how to see to their well-being in their poverty. And we shall see, we'll soon see in this psalm that David is not merely declaring a truth. He's trusting the Lord that it is so, even as he asks him, he's, he supplicates to God to deliver him. And that's what we see here next. If you're, if you're taking notes, this is B1. Supplication, be gracious to me. Verse 4, as for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. So notice back there in verse in verse 1, in the day of trouble, the Lord will deliver him. He's speaking about the one who considers the poor. We can't merely take this, though, as when you consider the poor, you need to look to God and say, okay, when are the goods coming to me? That's not, what Dave, that's not David's tone here. That's not his direction. He says in verse 4, as for me, I said, I know, I know that you do good to those who consider the poor. That's something that God is gracious to those who uphold the weak and are merciful to those who keep the commandment to love our neighbor. God will be gracious to us, certainly. But he says he frames his supplication not in regards to what he's done, but he frames it in regards to what he needs, and that's grace. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. So, what we tend to see here now is David is just not talking about himself as doing good to the poor. He's talking about himself as being the sick person. <laughs> and we're going to see that he wasn't treated well. And so the way the psalm begins moves in a direction that David is the one, it seems, that is the one who's on the sickbed. He's He's pronouncing a blessing on those who consider the poor, but it seems like David himself is seeing himself as the weak one. He's the one weak here. He says, be gracious to me, for I have sinned against you. As for me, I said, seems to qualify his petition beforehand. He is in need of grace. And there's also the possibility, as I've said, that David is describing himself. I think that's exactly what's happening here. David here is what Christ refers to in his sermon as poor in spirit. He's not boasting of anything in himself. He needs the grace of the Lord. And to, to the poor in spirit belong the kingdom. In light of this, in light of this request, in light of his supplication to be healed because of his sin against God, what follows regarding the reaction of his enemies really comes to light as far as those first three verses, one it said about those who consider the poor. Notice what he says here, see, my enemies, five through nine, my enemies say of me in, my mal in malice. Now he's sick, he's on a bed of sickness. When will he die? <laughs> and his name perish. You can see the contrast there, can't you? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. And you get the sneaking suspicion. They come into him and they're just looking to see how he's doing. Just to go out of the room to say, yeah, I think he's close. <laughs> you know, it seems like that's what David understands. They're coming almost to spy on me, to spy me out, to see when my end is near. Because they come and they utter empty words. While his heart gathers iniquity, when he goes out, he tells it abroad. 
All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Proverbs 17.5 warns us against such evil. Whoever mocks the poor, the weak, insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Now there's times in the Psalms, we won't go there, but there's times in the Psalms where the psalm, psalmist is rejoicing over the judgment of God upon the wicked. And we see that often in the Psalms. And so what's the difference? The difference is this is unrighteous. They are, they are enemies of David while being enemies of God. This is something that we see often in the Psalms, that there's this category of wicked and righteousness, righteous and, wickedness, or and wicked, these people groups that make up wicked and righteous, and one thing is always clear is that the, the wicked hate God and hate his people, and when they exalt themselves over God's people, they're exalting themselves against God himself. In this case, David is a penitent sinner. He says that about himself, who seeks grace and mercy. We need to be very careful that when one among us is penitent, when one of us is repentant, when one of us is humbled, that we do not press them down further, that we do not keep them and subjugate them to further scorn or malicious talk or speaking behind their back about what they've done. I was just told somebody that's close to us, his family member is going through a very hard time, and one of the persons in his church is, is in his need, in his need that he's confessed his sin and he needs help and he needs counsel. But in his need, this counselor is, is laying more and more guilt on him and, and, and pushing even further uh, to the point where this man who wants to do the right thing uh, won't go through it anymore. And this is what David is going through, perhaps even to a greater degree. Because these people hate David. Notice how his enemies speak in, in verses 5 through 8. They expected calamity. They said, when he will die and his name perish. When will he die and his name perish? They're duplicitous and slanderous. They have empty words and they tell it abroad. They have quiet internal hatred. They whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. These are not those who love their neighbor, who love the poor. Wicked boasters, a deadly thing is poured out on him, they say. He will not rise again from where he lies. Now, David, if you know something about David, you know he reverenced God in his heart. When, when Saul was chasing him to pin him to the wall with, with the spear, David would not lift up his hand against the Lord's anointed because he feared God. Now, David is the king probably at this time. And these people do not fear God. They want David's evil end to come upon him. What's startling is when we come to verse 9. This is probably the most astonishing part of the psalm and the most difficult. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Now there's a very clear time in David's life when something like this happens and so this very well may be the circumstance that surrounds Absalom's uh, 
conspiracy to take over the kingdom. And there was a man during that time who was a counselor in David's court. He was David's greatest counselor. He was David's wisest counselor. It was said of this man that his counsel was as if one consulted the word of God. So David has a close counselor in his court, but when Absalom comes to power, this counselor is now counseling Absalom as to how to kill David. His name was Ahithophel. Now, there is the probability because Bathsheba's grandfather, I believe it was her grandfather, his name was Ahithophel. There is the good possibility that this Ahithophel and that Ahithophel are the same Ahithophels because there's only one Ahithophel. (laughs) Next child name, where's my wife? (laughs) You guys, good example here. So Ahithophel was this great counselor in David's court, but when Absalom comes and the conspiracy to take David's kingdom over, he goes over to Absalom's side. Perhaps this is that, that issue at hand. Perhaps this is that man. If so, we still don't see the fulfillment of the depths of these words in verse 9. They're probably familiar to you. The fulfillment of this text, for it, we must turn to the New Testament. If you remember in the upper room, this scripture would be fulfilled when one of the twelve, Judas Iscariot, would break bread with our Lord just before betraying him into the hands of sinful men. Jesus said in John 13, 18, I know who I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. That's the scripture fulfillment. As I said this morning as we're going through Romans, that we need to come to the Old Testament more often. We need to be reading it. We need to be familiar with it. How great is it to see the promises, to see the word of God, to see these types and these shadows, to see these references in the scriptures leading to Christ, pointing towards Christ and fulfilled in Christ. This is for our faith. This is for our good to see this. More than any human being, in fact, Christ became poor. While his accusers hurled accusations and hatred and foamed with malice toward him, he was all the time innocent. More than David in this story, Jesus took upon himself our poverty in the depths of his soul. Once again, then, we see the typology here of David fulfilled in Christ. Sure, David's a true historical figure. Sure, something happened in David that took place. But even there, we see the wisdom of God. That in David's life, in his unfolding life, that we see a preparation for Christ in it. His greater son. We must look for and see Christ in the Old Testament. And so we must not sever the two. I I must admit, I love preaching out of the New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament is big. It's, it's sometimes daunting. There's huge stories, but those stories are needed. We need to read them to our children. We need to teach them to them. All the stories, even the ones that are hard. Life is hard. And sin is severe, and it's everywhere, and it destroys. And we need to see that effect in the Old Testament and God's righteousness to judge it. <clears throat> 
and also his mercy to prolong the days of sinners, to continue the line of David with all the sinful kings that follow because he had promised a seed, an offspring. Be second, be supplication, be gracious. Verse 10, but you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. Here's the right of the king. Here's the right of the one who is to enact justice, the, the power of the sword. Be gracious to me, raise me up that I may repay them. While David and every sinner is in need of grace, and this is certainly David's prayer, can we understand these words with regards to Christ? Be gracious to me, raise me up that I may repay them. And some will say, well, all the imprecatory parts of the Psalms, we, they're not for us anymore. I think they're absolutely for us. Right now, we need to call out to sinners and say, come to Christ. Christ died. He was a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. And he died in humility. And he died for sinners. And he died in weakness so that you could be made, made rich with God. And yet, there is a time appointed that God is determined to judge the world in righteousness by that same Christ. There is a time when Christ will repay his enemies, will judge them. And that's something to fear. It's something to flee. Jesus came and he died on the cross. And some might cry and, and object and say, well, he said from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I think when we speak about the gospel, that's exactly what we should say to sinners. That this is a time for forgiveness. This is a time for salvation. But we must also warn them of the wrath to come that judgment that will come when the lamb returns like a lion. And so this supplication, be gracious, is right in, in the way that the psalmist asks it. And even in the fulfillment of Christ in it, we can see. The second A, A2, profession of faith, 11 through 13. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of mine in integrity. I haven't in other words, what they're hating me for is not justified there, is what he means. And set me in your presence forevermore. And he's trusting the Lord, that the Lord's word to him is true. Here's a fitting way for the first book of the psalm to end. The first book of the psalms to end. This, regardless of the details, is the praise that every true believer can lift up to God. Whether our enemy is of the earth or even Satan himself, the ones in whom God delights will be delivered. Do you, that's, that's for us to believe. If, if you have faith in Christ, if you have life, if you have your heart is, is soft, if, if your eyes see by faith, if your ears can hear the truth of God's word, you should be encouraged we should be encouraged that no enemy in this earth or in the celestial realm can obstruct the will of God to save us or hinder it. The one in whom God delights to save will be delivered in the final analysis, not because of them, of ourselves, but because of David's son and David's Lord's integrity. It's the integrity of Christ that holds us up. It's his righteousness. 
And we shouldn't gloss over the truth that our integrity, integrity matters before God. It does matter. The way that we operate, the way that we live our lives in this world matters before God. How are we, are, how are we acquitting ourselves as Christians, as those who, when people know us, they should know something about our Lord? We ought to walk in integrity. And even expect that being a person of integrity should give us favor over the wicked with God. Not that it earns us grace by any means, but it does please God. But this boast cannot and should not be limited to mere circumstances. The boast that I know that you delight in me. We know that there are times when it seems like the wicked triumph over this life. <laughs> when we're on a sickbed, which we are, I've been there a lot this year it seems, I cannot go there and say, oh God, you don't love me anymore. Why? Because of, not because of my circumstances. That's how unbelief rules in the hearts of many people. They get in a circumstance that's hard and say, oh, God didn't come to me there or didn't come to me here, and now I don't know if he loves me anymore. No, the answer to our circumstances, the answer to this boast, is Christ. It's the one who became poor. It's the one who bore that poverty so that we could be made rich that's the that's that's the stone the rock the affirmation the truth the means of our hope the means of our confidence to say i know that you delight in me our enemies shall not triumph over us because christ triumphed over our enemies it's because he is set because Christ is set in God's presence forever, we are certain to prevail in him. For what can separate us from the love of God in Romans 8, one of that great text that we love to read, that great text that's full of truth. He didn't spare his son. He didn't spare his own son. How will he not with him also freely give us all things? And by that he means, I believe, himself as the great end of our salvation. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The final verse is blessed. And that's appropriate. This is how the psalm ends. The first book of the psalm begins, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But in essence, it's blessed is the man. Now we see that at the end of book one, Verse 13 of chapter 41, blessed be Yahweh, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this psalm. And thank you for the confidence that we can come to scripture, knowing that when we're sick or when our enemies hate us or when we're weak, Lord, Christ was there so that we could have confidence that we belong to you. Our enemies will not rejoice over us in the end. Lord, we have a lot of enemies in this world. I pray that we would love as we ought to love, that we would be people of integrity, that we would consider the poor. Lord, there is a blessing for those who follow in the way of righteousness. But I pray that we would delight in the Lord Jesus Christ who has done that once and for all for us. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.